Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. In 2003, a young basketball player named Carmelo Anthony received a sports award. It's called an ESPY. And in his acceptance speech, he thanked himself for all his hard work. And you may wonder, what, what's, what's possibly more arrogant than thanking yourself for hard work? Well, how about focusing on your greatness at the expense of others? When baseball's Ricky uh, Henderson broke Lou Brock's base-stealing record, he spoke to the crowd, and Lou Brock was there, and Henderson said, Lou Brock was a great base-stealer, but today I am the greatest. There is a tendency among humans to elevate ourselves and at times to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. And we can even do this spiritually where God comes in, he saves us. And some of us he saves out of a very sinful lifestyle like myself. He saves us and he starts to rearrange us and sanctify us and make us more like Jesus where we are not participating in the same sins we once were. We're having some better relationships, better than we had before, and we are growing in Christ. And the tendency, if we're not careful, is to think that we have accomplished this on our own. And even a greater tendency is that is to look down upon others who are not as holy as us, who, who don't have it all together as us. There is a tendency for us as believers, I think all of us, is to take the grace of God and turn it into a weapon of pride. We take the grace of God and turn it into the weapon of pride. And that's what we're going to hammer today is that we don't want to take God's grace and turn it into a weapon of pride. This last week, I, um, I, I met someone, I came across someone whose name was Humility. Not joke, this, this, this woman's name was Humility. Can you imagine living up to that name, Humility? That's to characterize us as, as believers, and it's to characterize us as the people of God, that we are those who walk in humility. And, I, you know, if you just asked your neighbors or if you asked people, take a poll nationally, do you feel like evangelical Christians exhibit humility? I don't know what the answer would be, but it wouldn't probably be very good. We often come across as very prideful and arrogant. So we want to take God's grace and not use it as a weapon of pride. So let's go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 11. Paul is coming to the end of an argument that he started back in Romans 9, where he addressed the tension concerning the low number of conversions among the Jewish people. Did God's promises to Israel fail because we see very few Jews being converted? And Paul's answer is in three parts. Part 1, chapter 9, God does not elect everyone within Israel for salvation, but only a remnant. Part 2 in chapter 10, Israel is responsible for failing to believe in the Messiah. And part 3, chapter 11, God is still saving some Jews today, and there will be a greater ingathering in the future. As he wraps up 
his argument in chapter 11. We're going to see three portions this morning. We're going to see a remnant of the believing Jews in verses 1 through 10. We're also going to see this current hardening of Israel as an occasion for Gentiles to be saved in verses 11 through 16. And then we're going to see this warning against turning God's grace into a weapon of pride. And that's where we're going to try to draw out some implications for our own lives. So let's jump in. First part, the remnant of believing Jews. All right, Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. Romans 10 ends by God holding out his salvation to Israel only to have them reject their Messiah. Does that mean that since Israel as a whole has rejected their Messiah, that Jews are no longer being saved? And uh, Paul's like, no way. May it never be. He is living proof that God still saves Jews, for he came out and was a Jew. Once again, verse 1. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. There is always a remnant of true believers chosen by grace. The prophet Elijah, after he confronted the false prophets of Baal, thought he was the only believer left in Israel. God said, no, no, there's 7,000 left who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In addition, Paul's proof that God is still saving Jews, as he is a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Even today, God is still saving Jews. My Parents used to live in Memphis. We went to go visit them over a long weekend and took my wife and kids to go to a messianic congregation in Memphis that is Jews who believe and worship Jesus. And while we were there, we met this woman. We told her that, you know, we're from Chicago, specifically the Evanston area next to Northwestern. And she was so excited because this woman who was a Jew who came to believe in Jesus, she used to live in Evanston, and she was so excited about the work God was doing there that she got out her checkbook, and she wrote a check and gave it to me right there to give to the church. It was amazing. There are still Jews today who believe in Jesus, and they want the gospel to spread. Yet, the gospel has spread, but most during Paul's day and during our day most Jews at this moment do not put their faith in Jesus. Look at verse 7. What then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, not, and ears hear not, down to this very day. 
And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. The Jews have failed to attain the salvation because of their unbelief. In addition, God has given them a spirit of stupor where they are unresponsive to the gospel. Instead of this table of feasting of the salvation of God, it's flipped over in the destruction. Yet, who benefits right now that the Jews as a whole are rejecting the Messiah? It's us. Primarily Gentiles. Let's jump into the salvation of the Gentiles. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? We are told here that Israel's stumble and trespass and failure to believe in the gospel has opened the door of salvation for the Gentiles to come in. And God has set it up this way at the present time so that very few Jews believe in Jesus so that the masses amounts of Gentiles can be saved. And throughout history, Gentiles have rejected God up until the coming of the Messiah, but now it is Gentiles who are mostly being saved. But God is not done with the Jews. God is not through with the Jew, for their stumble is not a permanent fall. In fact, the current situation of the salvation of the Gentiles is actually meant to stir up the Jews to jealousy so that they will trust in Jesus. Verse 13, but I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is their reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. Now, let me set aside till next week. We'll come back to this, this idea of life from the dead and this future salvation of the masses amount of Jews that are going to be saved in the end time and the wrapping up of history. We'll get to that next week. But let's keep the focus on what God is doing now. God is saving a lot of Gentiles. And the main point that we have here of God saving the Gentiles is to stir the Jews to jealousy. Let me explain to you this way. My former president at my seminary, Chuck Swindoll, he, he told this story, and I, I'm going to just take it and readjust it for myself. And, and it goes something like this. I'm out to dinner with my family, and this is how we roll, okay? Seven kids, all right, this is how we do dinner out at a restaurant, which is rare, okay? So we're, we're at a restaurant, and for, for, for starters, I'm just letting you know what happens. My kids already know this. You, you can't order drinks. You can just order water. And if, if you want something more, you, you can ask for a lemon, all right? <laughs> right? Absolutely zero appetizers ever. No appetizers. And, and when it comes to a meal, we're splitting meals. You, no one's going to get their own meal. And absolutely no desserts. That's how we roll. That's just the way we got to do it. Now, imagine we're out at a restaurant doing our normal thing. 
and there's this huge, um, you know, people, party of 10 next to us, and they're going all out. They're ordering drinks. They're ordering appetizers. They're ordering full meals with soup and salad. They're ordering desserts, and they're ordering it all in advance to be brought out at once. And so the waiters, several of them come out, and they're bringing out their drinks, their meals, their appetizers, the desserts, everything. And when it finally gets all settled, the head of the person at the table of 10 says, you know, this is not what we expected. This is not what we want. We'll pay for it, but we're out of here. Now, imagine after this, the waiter comes over to us and says, hey, Hey, you people with lemon water. (laughs) Would you like to move over here and have all the food that they have ordered? Everything. I'm like, yeah, of course. So me and my family transfer over, and we're enjoying things we don't usually get, our own drinks, appetizers, meals, soup, salad, dessert, and we are feasting big time. Ten minutes later, the group that has left, they thought, man, we've just made a foolish decision. (laughs) They come back, and as they're walking back, they peek through the window, and they see us eating all their food. What are we going to do? Nanny, nanny, (laughs) boo-boo. No, we didn't earn that. It was just given to us, and we're just going to enjoy it. The, the idea here is the Gentiles have come in by grace, and they're enjoying this feast. It's not a time to be arrogant against the Jews, but to stir them to jealousy. Now is the time where the Gentiles are feasting, but we're not to be arrogant. Let's move on to that, that third portion. This warning about turning God's grace into a weapon of pride. Verse 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And there's a lot that's coming up here, but let's just focus on this concept of a tree. Specifically an olive tree, all right? Let's try to understand this. So the root of this olive tree is probably referring to the patriarchs in the Old Testament, the promises of the Old Testament. And the olive tree represents the true people of God, made up of Jews, natural branches, Gentiles, wild olive branches. Now, the following is not meant to be a perfect agricultural analysis, so all you gardeners don't act like you're going to look for perfect connections. But it's a spiritual illustration. Verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. The broken off branches from this olive tree are unbelieving Jews. And the wild olive shoot represents believing Gentiles. Gentiles who believe have been grafted into the tree and now benefit from the salvation promises to the patriarchs. And the believing Gentiles who have been grafted in, it says, do not be arrogant toward those branches. Whether those are believing Jews in Jesus or unbelieving Jews in Jesus have been cut off. 
We must not look down on Jews because we have been grafted in by grace. There is nothing inherently special about the Gentiles. It's all grace. We must not use our position of grace as a weapon of pride. And what, you'll see this. And I don't know if you had this tendency in your life that when you first became a believer, you're like, man, God has saved me. He's done a great work in me. And you start looking down on those people you used to run with. You start looking down on those people you used to party with. And you're like, oh, I'm not like them anymore. And yeah, we become believers for a really long time. And now what happens to believers is that not only do we look down on those who are not saved, we start sniping at those who are believers but not exactly like us. And so social media will be blowing up where we are just taking grace and using it as a weapon of pride to take out unbelievers and believers alike. And the word here is, don't use this grace that has come your way as a weapon of pride. That's not the point. Paul continues to push back against this pride. Verse 19. You will say then, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They are broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited. Do not be proud, but fear. The Jews who did not believe were cut off for their lack of faith, and the Gentiles were grafted in by faith. So the Gentiles now, which will be most of us, are standing by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. And it is not an occasion for us to become conceited or proud, but it's time for us to fear. Why fear? Verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. God cut off the Jews for unbelief. And if the Gentiles who choose to turn their back on God, he's going to cut them off as well. Now, now this is not a threat of you losing your salvation, but this is a warning. Do not become arrogant. Because if God lopped off the unbelieving Jews, if you're an unbelieving Gentile, he will lop you off as well. And true believers see this warning and, and respond to it. Not out of fear of losing our salvation, but a fear of standing in awe of God and humbled by his grace. We are reminded of God's kindness. The severity is there, but also his kindness. And his kindness is expressed to everyone in here. God's kindness is held out to sinners. And that's the way that Paul finishes up, verse 23. And they also... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these branches, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? And this is a really good encouragement to Jews who have hardened their hearts can still repent and believe in the gospel due to God's kindness. This is good news for you in here. And for those who are watching us online. That you can still repent and believe though you may have a hard heart. It can be softened by God's kindness. 
God's kindness was shown to you and to me in the gospel of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. He came here, lived the life we couldn't live. Bear the sins on the cross that we could not bear. Buried, rose again. And the offer is God's kindness is offered to you and he can soften your hard heart with his kindness. And the offer of salvation is open to anyone who wants to repent and believe. But as we become believers and we start walking with Jesus, we must have this idea in this heart that we do not want to take God's mercy and grace and turn it into a weapon of pride. Because, listen to this, God's word still says this, and this applies to believers as well. For example, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is still opposed to the proud. If you're walking in pride and arrogance, he is opposed to you, but gives grace to those who are humble. And when we want to exert ourselves, whether we're trying to be arrogant and win an argument or arrogant and crushing someone in the church, we need to know that God is opposed to that. But he gives grace to those who are humble. So I want to flesh out some implications here of this grace that's been extended to you to see if we're actually walking in it. This past Wednesday, I was meeting with a group of four guys. We were studying uh, 1 John in my office. Uh, Some of you know who you are because you were there, four of you. Now, I asked the guys a question. And the question was, what is your level of self-awareness? How aware are you? Of, are you of the way you come across to others? Now, if, if you don't know, I, I dare you to ask your spouse and see how that goes on the way home, all right? How aware of you are your tendencies and what you're thinking and the way that you operate within yourself and how that comes across to others? Are you a person of grace and humility, or I can't believe I am saved, or are you an arrogant person who has to win every argument and always be right? So let's take some implications here. The first one uh, areas where we can grow, and number one, is that we can develop Christ-like character. Now this is in the realm of personal holiness. And I think it's helpful to be upfront that all of us, even those who have been believers for 30, 40, 50 years, still struggle. It's okay to admit that. You still struggle with sin. You're not free. You're not in heaven. You're not away from it completely. There's still this struggle, this fighting, and this warring, and there has to be this aggressive putting to death of sin. But if you ever get to a point where you say, you know what? I'm good. The struggle is not there anymore. Well, consider 1 Corinthians 10.12. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Man, we've got to be careful. We, ne- we never get to a point where we say, I'm, I'm never going to be tempted again. I'm all good now. I'm stronger than others. No, that's, that's just not the right attitude to have. The attitude is one of humility, the one of dependence, one of praising God for his grace, not by grace. Without God's grace, I'm not going to be able to stand today. We have to continue to walk in humility and Christ-likeness. And any humility and Christ-likeness we see in ourselves, we say it's totally of God. Second area of growth is that we can be cultivating healthy relationships. 
This, this one's very important. And uh, whether you're single or married, you're in a variety of relationships. But those who in here who are married, it, it's okay to, and this is, this is what's helpful. It's okay to admit if you're having problems in your marriage. If you never have problems in your marriage, you are a liar. Okay? Even in the past, if you've had problems and you've come through them, it's okay to share with other people. We've had problems, but God's brought us through them, and we're here by his grace. And so when you talk to other people in the church who are having problems in the marriage, we need to know that. I, I've been married July 26 years. I do not have it figure out. I still have problems in marriage, and I know you do too, but some of you are much further along than us, and I need you to say, you know, you know, brother, you know, sister, you know, yeah, God's going to carry you through this. We need to know that God's grace has sustained you. I need to see that, and I need to be encouraged by that, that God will sustain us as well. A third area is pursuing vocational development. Now, I know most of you in here don't, don't work any longer, and when you did, you had a very successful career, or maybe you were a very successful mother in raising your kids, and there is this kind of this riding off into the sunset where you're like, yes, I was awesome, I accomplished stuff, and I was good. And you reflect on others who are still working right now, who are still having struggles. I mean, most of you don't have young kids at home. I still do. I need to know from you that one day it will end. Are you sure? Promise? Because I know some of you are going to say, yeah, I know they'll leave. But some of you say, yeah, but sometimes they come back. I need to know that you're able to make it. That God sustained you. That God gave you grace. I need that encouragement. And for those of us who are working, we need that encouragement. We don't need the arrogance say, yeah, we did it. We were awesome. Now you can be too. No, we need that encouragement that it is a struggle. That God will carry us through. And the last area is taking risks for the gospel. Taking risks for the gospel. A few years ago, my wife and I were at this huge orphan uh, conference and the conference had a lot of speakers with different organizations serving the vulnerable. And the temptation when you have so many organizations with so many different approaches is that you can tend to be critical and negative with different approaches to orphan care and criticize those. That's one of the biggest things. Is at an orphan conference, you will often hear people saying, there's so many orphans, so many kids in foster care, how come everybody else is not doing something? And you start to look down on others. But we don't, we don't want to be doing that. We just want to take risks for the gospel and praise God for his grace that we can do that. And, and the same applies for those of you who are really pumped about missions. We don't want to look down on other people just because they're not going overseas. We don't want to look down on people just because they're not as pumped about missions as you. And you can just take this across the board with other things. I know some of you love serving and caring for the hungry and the poor. And you do it, some of you, on a weekly basis. Don't use God's grace to give you that ability to do that, to look down on others who are not doing that. We've got to be very, very careful, especially with our, our ministries in our church. We say, man, this is the most ultimate ministry. Why aren't other people getting involved in it? We're better than them. We don't want to do that. We want to utilize the gifts that God has given us, the grace he's given us, not to look down on others, but to walk in humility with him with joy. 
And that's our heart attitude. I can't believe God saved me. I can't believe I know Jesus. I can't believe I'm going to see him face to face soon. That's the heart. That's the attitude. Not smashing and looking down at others. Praise Jesus, I am saved. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.